We're glad that you're here today. Thank you for coming and joining us. It is a day of celebration. Let me remind you that the, that the entire music program will be having our Christmas musical tonight at 6.30. We hope that you will come out and be part of that. This is just one little small snippet of what we will be celebrating tonight. We hope that you will come and be with us as we gather together. This is a day that our Lord has made for us as a gift. If this is your first time here, welcome to the gift. There should be a card in the pew rack in front of you, and we'd ask you to take that out and fill it out. If you have prayer concerns, put it on that same card, drop it in the offering plate. We'll try to respond to you. If you're joining us via live stream, welcome. Go to the address you'll see on the screen. Do exactly what I've just said, and we'd love to hear from you. If you have problems or issues, let us know, and we will try to respond to that as well. But welcome to all of you, and we are glad that you have come to be with us. Today is Joy Sunday. It's the day when we celebrate the coming of Jesus' spirit to the world through the baby and a manger. The joy candle is always a little different color. It's pink, and it reminds us that the joy of God comes, and it has nothing to do with happiness. It is the presence of God's spirit with us that, bring, that colors the world in ways that we've never imagined. Join me in our service of the Advent wreath. Lord, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. You have shown us the paths of life. You will fill us with joy in your presence. You make us glad by your deeds, O Lord, for unto us you have sent good news of great joy. Unto us is born a Savior, Christ the Lord, the joy of the world. can read the last part of that better if you don't drop it in the floor. You have filled us with glorious joy, and we are receiving the reward of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Praise be to God for the joy of heaven. O God, who in your coming into the very world you created, you found no place to lay your head May you find your home in our hearts even this morning as we are gathered here to worship you. Be born in us today that we may be spiritually formed in such a way that we are further prepared when we leave this place to live the life of faith for which you have called us. May you inhabit our praises and our thoughts of you as we proclaim your name in word and in song. You are worthy of our worship. So may our offerings of worship be found acceptable to you, for we offer our worship and this our prayer in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. Let's pray together. Holy God, we thank you so much for bringing us here together today, for the honor of being in your house, and Lord, for the joy in celebrating you and your coming. God, help us to just feel you here today and that you can quiet our hearts and our busy, busy minds during this season, Lord, and just help us to be calm, to be still, and to know that you're here and that it is our joy to celebrate you. Help us to focus our minds on the message so that we can learn what you need us to hear. Lord, we love you, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 
Our scripture today is a very familiar scripture. It comes from the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and the family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Let's pray together. God, help us to hear your word today. Help us to experience what you would like for us to experience, to, to be able to make choices that you would like us to make. Help us, O oh God, to be guided by this word today, for it is in your name we offer our prayer. Amen. Brett Blair's United Methodist Ministry tells the story of a seven-year-old boy who used to be in his church. His name was Wally. Wally was bigger than most of the kids his age, so most of the other kids called him Big Wally. Wally went to a private school there within their town. He had some learning disabilities. He needed some very intense personal help, and the public school system wasn't the best there, so his parents chose to send him to this private school. Every year, this private school did a play with their children. It was a play about the birth of Jesus. When it came time for the teacher to assign the parts for the play, everybody thought that Big Wally would get a non-speaking part because Wally was dyslexic and it was very hard for him to read. It was hard for him to memorize things. When the teacher handed out the parts, they were very surprised when she gave him the part of the innkeeper. But it really wasn't that much of a deal about him being in that, that, that role because the innkeeper only had one line. There's no room for you in the inn. The day of the play came. Wally had rehearsed his line over and over and over. The curtain went up. Mary and Joseph came walking in. They walked over to the inn. They looked at the innkeeper and Joseph said, my wife is not feeling well. Do you have a room for us? Wally looked at Mary and Joseph and he said, there's no, and then he just stopped. They waited for a second and then Wally started again. There's no, and then he just stopped again. Everybody in the room started feeling bad for Wally. He only had one line. Now he's forgotten that one line. They knew he was going to be embarrassed. Everybody in the room was uncomfortable for him. Joseph and Mary just stood there and looked at him for a minute. And then, not knowing exactly what to do, they turned and they started going toward the stable. When they did, Big Wally looked at them and said, Wait a minute. I don't have a room for you in the end, but why don't you come home with me? <clears throat> said, I have a nice stable and I'll sweep it up and I'll put down some fresh hay and, and I've got a manger where you can lay your baby when he's born. Just come home with me. I'll take care of you. Big Wally said, they, that Brett Blair said that half of the room started crying, the other half started applauding when he started doing that because that was when the entire room, including all the children, realized that Big Wally wasn't just a kid who was big. Wally was also a guy who had a big heart. He just couldn't bring himself to even look at a fictional Mary and Joseph and say, there's no room for you in the end. What nobody knew until that very day was that 
Wally had a heart as big as gold, and he didn't want to turn that holy family away. He didn't want to turn them away and not make room for Jesus that night. When you look at the birth of Jesus, most of the characters in this birth story are very well defined. You, you have Mary and Joseph, the holy family. You have King Herod, who was a murdering jerk. You have wise men who were heroes. You have shepherds who were heroes. You have angels who are bringing good news of great joy. But the innkeeper in this story, he's always gotten or she's always gotten a bad rap. <clears throat> They're basically a grumpy old person who didn't like being bothered in the middle of the night and so they didn't treat the Holy Family very well. But the truth of the matter is that's not what the Scripture says at all. In fact, the Scripture doesn't even say that there is an innkeeper. We assume that there was an innkeeper because of Luke said in Luke 2, 7, there's no room for you in the end. Somebody had to say that. But the Bible doesn't say that there was an innkeeper. And besides, it wasn't the innkeeper's fault that Caesar Augustus had called for a census so he could raise taxes again. It wasn't the innkeeper's fault that they only had, what, three rooms to rent instead of four. It wasn't the innkeeper's fault that Mary and Joseph got there later than most of the people who were coming to Bethlehem. The innkeeper wasn't a bad guy because he didn't have a room to rent that night, but that's how history has portrayed this person. And that's what made Big Wally's response so moving. It's what made it so joyful. It had never occurred to anybody that that innkeeper might have been totally different from what they had always thought. I mean, think about it. Mary and Joseph had a place to have their baby because somebody gave it to them. Mary and Joseph had a manger to put their baby in because somebody let them have it. And that was a very big deal that somebody let them have it. Somebody made a way for them to have room for their baby. That innkeeper may have been very different from what history has always painted them to be, but the truth of the matter is we're not sure. The only thing we know for sure is that somebody made room for Jesus, and that phrase, there's no room for you in the end, that was going to become a recurring theme in the Gospel of Luke. You were going to see that over and over and over again. Why? Because it was, was a recurring theme in Jesus' life. From the time <clears throat> that Jesus started his ministry, people were going to be deciding if they were going to make room for Jesus or not. And the truth of the matter is, most people were going to say no. They were not going to make room for Jesus. For instance, one place that made no room for Jesus at all was the economic system of the world that Jesus lived in. One day Jesus and his disciples took a boat and they went to the town of Jeressa in the Sea of Galilee. As soon as they got there, this naked madman came running out to Jesus. This man was wild and he was menacing. He, he lived in the tombs that were in the cemetery. And the town had tried to keep him chained up, but he kept breaking the chains and running away. This man ran and he threw himself in Jesus' feet and he said, what have you got to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, please don't torment me. But when he did, Jesus said, What is your name? And the man said, My name is Legion, for he had many demons. Back in that day, people thought that if someone had mental illness, they were demon-possessed. This man said that he was legion. It may have meant that he had multiple personality disorder. We don't know what the man had. But what we do know is 
Jesus commanded the demons to come out of this man, and he cast those demons into a herd of pigs. And when he did, the pigs ran down the hill, and they jumped off a cliff into the sea. And suddenly this man, who had been wild and who had been menacing for years, he was instantly healed. That should have been a moment of great joy in that town. That whole town should have been praising Jesus and they should have been celebrating what Jesus had just done. But what they saw was an entire herd of pigs that had drowned and those people went to Jesus and instead of praising him, they asked him to leave town. They didn't care whether that man had been healed or not. He wasn't anybody. He wasn't anything to them. He'd never been anything but a nuisance. They were used to him being there. They were used to him living in that cemetery. They were used to him living in those tombs. They didn't care at all about that man and his illness. But they cared about their pigs. And they were afraid of Jesus. They were afraid of his power. They were afraid of what he was bringing to them. And they were very much afraid that if he stayed in Jeresa, he was going to ruin their livelihoods. Jesus healed a man of a legion of demons, but it killed a herd of pigs in the process. And that hit people in the pocketbook. And I'm just going to tell you, folks, I've been pastoring churches for 45 years. Most people are just fine with religion. They're happy with religion. They're happy with the church as long as it doesn't cost them much or anything. But when it starts intruding on our economy, then something's got to give. And in this case, what the people gave up was Jesus. There wasn't room for Jesus in their economy. Should have been a moment of great joy, but it was a moment of rejection. That wasn't the only place that they didn't have room for Jesus. They also didn't have room for Jesus in the legal system of the day. The law was cut and dried. It was right there in the scriptures. The law of Moses had been around for 4,000 years, and it was clear. It may not have been merciful, and it may not have been compassionate, but everybody understood the law. It was right there in the Torah. One of those laws was that Anybody who committed adultery was going to be stoned to death. They understood that law. It was clear. It was black and white. It was in the book of Leviticus. It was in the book of Deuteronomy. It was in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And the community enforced that law to the letter, especially on the woman, because it was the law the Scripture said so, but... Then a crowd came dragging this poor woman to Jesus who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they threw her down in the dirt and they said, This woman was caught in adultery. Our law says that she should be stoned to death. What do you say? And when they did, Jesus bent down and he started writing in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote in the dirt. We don't even know for sure how long he wrote in the dirt. But when Jesus got up from writing in the dirt, he looked at those men and he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Those people thought they had Jesus trapped. If he said don't stone her, then he was going against the law and the people would turn their back on him. If he said stone her to death, then he was going against what he had been teaching and his own disciples would leave him. They thought they had Jesus, but then Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And all of a sudden they knew 
Jesus had them. There wasn't anybody who was qualified to cast the first stone that day. There wasn't anybody who was qualified to kill that woman. The only thing that they could do was drop their stones and leave, but that didn't mean their heart was in it. That didn't mean that they liked it. That didn't mean that they wanted to do it. Dr. Andrew Young once said, a person who has changed their mind against their will is a person who hasn't changed their mind. Those people didn't do the right thing that day because their heart was in it. They did the right thing that day because that's all they could do. That should have been a day of great joy for those people. Jesus had just relieved the world of a harsh, indiscriminate law, and he replaced it with compassion. He replaced it with grace. He replaced it with God's love. They should have been celebrating that day, but too many people want life to be black and white because it just seems easier that way if it's black and white. They'd rather have the law than have compassion. They'd rather have the law than have to think from case to case about the question, what would Jesus do? Jesus saved that guilty woman that day, and that was when the people started trying to get rid of Jesus. He was a heretic. He wasn't following the Scripture. He, he had to be stopped. There wasn't room for Jesus in the legal system because the legal system was part of the religious system, which meant there wasn't room for Jesus in the religious order either. Jesus was doing too many things that didn't match up to the teachings of the Hebrew Scripture. Jesus wasn't keeping the letter of the law of Moses the way you were supposed to keep it. And besides, they already had a high priest. They already had rabbis. And those men had been trained for the jobs that they were doing. Who did Jesus think he was? He was calling himself a rabbi. Where did he go to seminary? Who were his parents? Who had taught him? Jesus was from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Even Jesus' own disciples asked that question. The chief priests and most of the Pharisees did everything they could to derail Jesus' ministry. They weren't about to give up their high positions in society on the word of some troublemaker from a backwoods town. And besides, those men truly, sincerely thought Jesus was wrong in what he was teaching. So they thought it was their duty to oppose what Jesus was doing. They thought it was their duty to oppose his teachings. Jesus was bringing women into his inner circle and he was making them equals in his ministry. Jesus was defending prostitutes and sinners. Jesus was calling tax collectors and ignorant fishermen to be his disciples. Jesus was healing slaves. Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath. Jesus was healing people in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He was gathering food on the Sabbath for his disciples to eat. He was challenging the scriptures openly when he said, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, who did Jesus think he was? Moses had given them that teaching. He's challenging Moses. Who does he think he is? The chief priests and the Pharisees truly thought that Jesus was wrong and that he needed to be stopped. And they thought they had stopped him. 
When Jesus was hanging on that cross, they thought they had stopped that heretic once for, and for all, and they felt good about it. It was a moment of great joy for the Pharisees and the high priests. The message Jesus was preaching should have been a relief to all of those people. It was a liberating message of joy. But Jesus was different. He loved people who didn't deserve to be loved. He wasn't harsh and unbending. Jesus was messing up everything. There wasn't room for Jesus in the religious world, which meant there wasn't room for Jesus in the political world either because those two were meshed together. Mark my words on this one, folks. You can take this to the bank every day. When Jesus gets in, when, when the religion of the day gets in bed with politics, somebody is going to get hurt and hurt badly. And usually it's the church that gets hurt because sooner or later there's a backlash against that and people become angry and they walk away from what Jesus has called us to believe. If you don't believe that that's what will happen, all you need to do is look at Jesus. The Hebrew people were wanting a new king. They had been wanting a new king for years. They thought that Jesus was that man. They knew what kind of power that that man had. They had seen him heal the sick. They were there when he wrecked the temple and when he threw all those charlatans out who were trying to fleece the flock who wanted to do nothing but worship God. They saw Jesus drive those people out. They saw Jesus raise the dead just a week before. They had watched him as he had brought Lazarus back to life. It was just before Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem. This had to be the new king. Kings had been riding donkeys into the city when they were to be coronated. For years and years and years, this man had power. If he could raise people from the dead, then he could kill the Romans with nothing but his voice. Just say the word and they were going to be finished. But Jesus didn't do what the people wanted him to do. He didn't raise an army. He didn't kill the Romans. He didn't fight for the throne. He just kept telling people to love one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. They thought Jesus was their dream come true, but by the end of the week, he was just one more in a long line of disappointments. He wasn't going to be the kind of politician that they wanted or needed. He wasn't going to be the kind of king who hated the people that they wanted to hate. So they all agreed it was time for Jesus to die. There wasn't room for Jesus in the political system that they wanted that should have been a time of great joy in their lives. Jesus was showing them the way to live in peace. But the people didn't want peace. They wanted war. They wanted power. They wanted death. So Jesus got death. They didn't have room for Jesus. There wasn't room for Jesus in the end. There wasn't room for Jesus in the economic system. There wasn't room for Jesus in the legal system. There wasn't room for Jesus in the religious system. There wasn't room for Jesus in the political system. It all started in Bethlehem on the night that Jesus was born. And Luke made it clear that it never stopped. Over and over, the majority of people have refused to make room for Jesus. That innkeeper found himself in a very difficult situation in Bethlehem that night. Pregnant woman, her fiancé, had just shown up late and, and they needed a room, but he didn't have a room, so he had to decide 
for himself. He had to ask himself a question. What am I going to do here? Am I going to make room for this Messiah? And that's where our story meets up with the innkeeper's story because that's the question that we all have to answer in this Christmas season. Are we going to make room for Jesus? Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come into them and I will dine with them and they with me. The, word, the Greek word that Jesus used for dine here, it actually means a banquet. And what it is saying is, I am bringing the banquet to you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open the door, I'll bring in the party. I'll bring the banquet. We'll dine together and we'll celebrate and we will have joy in Jesus Christ. We'll have joy with God. God, that's what Jesus was saying when he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I'll bring you great tidings of joy. And I'll live in the manger of your heart forever if you'll let me. One of the key differences in the Christian faith and all the other faiths of the earth is that God comes looking for us in the Christian faith. All the other faiths are about humanity's search for God, but in the Christian faith, God comes to us through Jesus. He's knocking on the door of our hearts. So the question that we have to answer is the same question the innkeeper had to answer. Will we make room for Jesus? Big Wally melted the hearts of over 300 people when he refused to turn the, the holy family away in that school play. Nearly a dozen people made professions of faith that day because for the very first time they understood that there was an importance in making room for them. Everybody thought Wally was a slow learner, but he wasn't. That boy made room for Jesus when he was seven years old, and he showed a room full of adults what the true meaning of Christmas really was. Wally made room for Christmas that year. What are we going to do with Christmas this year? Are we going to make room for God's joy? If it weren't for Jesus. If it weren't for Jesus. I'd be lost, scared, and alone. I would have no purpose. If it weren't for Jesus, I wouldn't know my true worth. My lust would still be consuming me. I'd still be empty and broken inside. I'd be in jail or dead. I would still be carrying a load of guilt and shame. My life would still be filled with discontent. I'd still be filled with loneliness and despair. But because of Jesus. But because of Jesus, I've found hope. I have found purpose. I have found my value in Christ. I have found freedom. Because of Jesus, I have been healed. I'm alive. I have found peace. I have found contentment. I have found joy. 
I've been forgiven. Forgiven for all my sins. For all my sins. I've been set free. All because of Jesus. Jesus, we come to you today knowing very well that you're knocking on the door of our hearts. Knowing very well that you are coming to us today. We don't have to go looking for you. You have promised that you will always be looking for us. You'll be the one who's trying to come and join the manger of our souls. So I pray, O oh Lord, as we gather here today, that we'll have the courage to make the right choices when we come to you. That we'll have the courage to want you to be part of our lives. That we'll have the courage to want to find the joy of the presence that came to the world in a manger 2,000 years ago. And you've promised to live within our souls forevermore if we will let you. The only thing in the world that can separate us from you is us and our choices. And yet you will never leave us and you'll never forsake us. You just keep coming because you want to be part of our lives. You want to fill us with all that you have to offer that is good and wonderful. You want us to have hope and peace and joy. Help us, O oh Lord, to say to you today, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Fill my heart with your grace. Help me to know that you are what's been missing and that you will never be missing again if I will hold on to you. Come, Lord Jesus, and live inside my life and make my life what you would have it be. Give us the joy of Christmas, Lord. Amen. You've come and you want to give your life to Jesus today. If you've made room for him and want to let us know that, come and tell us today as you're going out. And we'll help you with the next steps with baptism and joining the church. If you want to become a member of our church and be part of our mission, let us know that as well. We'll make sure that that happens. We're going from here into the world. And I hope that we're going to take the joy of Christmas within us as we go. Because the joy of Christmas can make a huge difference for people. We made a big difference for some people yesterday. I think it was 118 families that we fed yesterday across this area. And we also had 18 children that had beds to sleep on because of the work that we have done yesterday. So we need to be proud of the mission work that we have done during the course of this season. But we also need to be humble. There's a lot more to be done. But we have the power to do it because we have Jesus. Now may the Lord bless and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace this day and every day now and forevermore. Amen. See you at 630. God bless you all.